The Law Report with Karen Key. And a very good evening to you from tonight's Law Report program. Well, as you know, once a month here on the Law Report, we run a legal clinic trying to answer a range of questions on a number of different topics. And tonight, of course, being the second Monday of the month, it's again time to open the lines for you to ask that particular legal question that doesn't quite fit into the other topics we discuss here on the Law Report. And just before we begin, a reminder that there's a list of available documents on the Facebook page, Law on SAFM. If you'd like any of them, post a message on Facebook, but please remember to include your email address or if you don't have access to Facebook, email me on law at safm.co.za and I can send you a copy of the list so you can choose what you want. Well, I'm joined once again this evening by attorney Nicolene skuman and She's the director of skuman Chaka Attorneys, Conveyances and Notaries Public. Nicolene, welcome back to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. And if you have any questions for us this evening, you can call us now on 0892 10 2010. We do have four emails that we just need to get through, but if you want to call through now, you can leave your name and number with my producer and we will call you back as soon as we're done with those emails. But before we start those, I just want to check, is next week the big week? It's Will's week next week. I hope everybody's made the appointment. I I certainly (laughs) hope so too. Um, Next week is annual national Will's week. So... um, yeah, listeners, so I definitely, for one, urge you to find out at your closest law society, which are the participating firms in each of the provinces. Alternatively, Karen, I believe you've placed some well, information. I've just, well, I haven't placed the information. I've just said, let me know where you are, and mm. I will send you the list. So oh, fantastic. if you want, it's still now. It's a little late, but you might still be lucky. Because it yes. actually, I was quite surprised when I had a look around the country. There's actually quite a lot of attorneys participating. Which is fantastic. Mm, yeah, so I you think, should possibly get an appointment even yes, now. Yes, yes. I think... Um, we still have a, a couple of slots left, by example. So it would be it would be great to fill all of them and to really um, look back on yet another successful World's Week and um, making a tangible difference. So um, all of all of those, um, if you know of any family members or, or anyone who does not have a will, regardless of age or or what worldly possessions you have, please do take part in this fantastic initiative. Uh, It's meant for our communities, so uh, we urge you to take part. So just drop me a mail, law at safm.co.za. And if you want a list of the participating attorneys, remember to include where you are, which province Mm. you are in, because I've had a number of emails. Please send me the list. Um, Where are you? So, you know, please do tell me where you are so I can send you the list. The other thing as well, while you're on that topic, I've had a number of calls from people saying, or emails from people saying, does this include setting up a trust? Does this mm. include... It doesn't. It's a simple Unfortunately, will. Unfortunately, yes. That's it. You... It doesn't include the amendment of an existing will or the creation of a testamentary or inter vivos trust. Unfortunately, it's it's really there for... And it's meant for, for the members of our communities who would otherwise not have access or the ability to have access to these services. Um and it's a basic will is pretty much um, very few of us actually have complex wills, and I've dealt with very various estates. So a, a, a basic will really doesn't mean that it's not a um, not a professionally drafted will. It just means that it it deals with the the basics of your estate and it nominates your executor, and it's a plus minus two to three page document instead of a 20 or a 30 page as you may have seen um, 
predominantly a, a couple of years ago mm. it was a, a stock standard to to draft very long wills i'm not always a firm supporter of of more is more sometimes less and uh, crystal uh, clear drafting is more uh, and not necessarily length in pages and also if you have small children you need to yeah. put in the will guardians that yes. sort of thing is very important very important and if if you do have small children, that's where the trust becomes useful. And then unfortunately, that portion may not be covered by the National Wills Week. But if it's again, if it's fairly standard and you know what you want, you can always make an arrangement with one of the participating attorneys to pay for the trust deed that has to be drafted and to at least have the benefit of the will um, nonetheless to, to be at no charge. And talking about wills, our first email actually refers to a will. It's from Jermaine and he says, my grandmother passed away and did not leave a will. Now he's he's apparently the grandchild and staying all my life in the house has now been asked by the five out of the six children, which includes his mother, to be the executor. But there is one sister, his aunt, who does not want to sign the form. What do I do now? Well, there's no regulation that stipulates how many family members must support this application, whether it's unanimous or, or so forth. There's no specific regulation that dictates that. It's at the discretion of the master. And essentially, the master wants to see that there's support of the family towards your application. So in many instances, a majority of the person supporting your application is sufficient in order for you to be appointed. However, if there is no will, there's no exemption from the security element. Um, and again, there's a purpose behind that. It's to keep the person who will be doing the administration or dealing with it as such accountable for how they deal with it and so on. So it's very important to, if you want to be appointed as an executor, to consider whether or not there'll be that security element to fulfill. I'll just explain what they mean. It's a financial element. It's a financial element. It's it's like giving a guarantee, really, to say, I guarantee that I'll be dealing with the administration process in a responsible, transparent, lawful manner. And I'm as convinced so that I would put down the equivalent, usually, of the asset value. So, so if, if the assets say there's a house involved and sort of just say it's a million rand, the executive would have to put down a million rand? Usually, plus Plus minus. however much else there it's was the in the estate. It's at the master's discretion, yes. That it, you get the money back, though. Yes. But you have to find it to start with. It's usually, it can be something like a fixed deposit that you'll put up. Um, you won't physically pay the money over to the master, but you'll sign what they call a bond of security, which says, I have X amount of money in this account, and yes, if I don't deal with the estate in a transparent, lawful responsible manner then you may take that if there's any damage yes so, another reason why you all should have a will because exactly. you don't want to leave your your family having to do this now and then still having to find the money or find some sort of form of security to put up so that they can actually execute the will exactly um most of us don't have that kind of money lying no, around no i'm sure most of um, us don't so it, this, this is a massive problem of course it serves a, a a better purpose a bigger purpose but it it really um it, it makes it impossible for someone to actually be appointed. So you have more than one issue to deal with. It's not just the one of the next of kin affidavit, uh, the support for the application, in other words. It's also the security element to consider, can you afford putting up the security? And if you can't, what are the alternatives? So um, 
I, I would recommend that you actually, as family member, um, uh, the person who's wanting to be appointed, actually do go and seek legal advice from an attorney or your local legal aid clinic um, to before you, you pursue the appointment any further. Before you sign anything. Because there is more than one element. Now, of course, if the master does wish to appoint you on the basis of, of the support of the other family, and you can't provide the security, then you won't be appointed. Then you're back to square one of not having an executor. So um, usually the surviving spouse or the minor child is um, exempt from the security. So consider if there's someone else that could take the appointment and you can always assist them or approach an attorney or a professional to assist them. But do, do consider all the factors involved. Okay, so I hope you've all been listening to that and you're all emailing me right now for that list of attorneys where you can go and draw up your <laughs> will so you don't end up in this situation. Definitely. Jermaine, I wish you much luck and hope you can get that sorted out. Right, uh, email from Ivan says, My sister's been divorced for nine years now. She hasn't received one cent from her ex-husband for maintenance for his son. He's a first-year student now and struggling to make ends meet. Can she still sue him for maintenance support after nine years or is it too late now? With maintenance, um, and, and I believe our credit regulations is, uh, insofar as arrear maintenance and credit records go, uh, will, will also um, support the seriousness of, of not paying maintenance, um, specifically because you, you don't have a prescription period when it comes to child maintenance. Um, it's one of those claims that, that enjoys any period of time in, in terms of which you can claim. Even though the son is now in university, it's obviously well, over 18, I would imagine. Now. But if he's still financially dependent, mm. then it's about the financial dependence. And depending on what your divorce order may provision for, and usually um, it, it, in most instances, it only deals with custody and access. It, it rarely actually deals with the maintenance amounts, especially if you went through the divorce and you were self-represented. You, you didn't have an attorney otherwise um, to assist you with this. And often that's one of the, the aspects that, so to speak, falls through the cracks. What means uh, and what that really means then is that you have to um, approach the, the court again, the maintenance division, the family court as we call them, and for an appropriate order regarding the payment of maintenance. Well, possibly. Would she possibly have got a maintenance order at the beginning of all of this? It may have. Um, it may not ever have been adjusted in terms of the amount. I mean, nine years ago, mm. what it cost to, to raise a child and what it cost to put a child through university was a very different scenario. So it needs to be adjusted in terms of the amount. So she'll need to approach the maintenance court um, for an, uh, an amendment to that court order if it does exist, if it does not exist, to make application for a fresh order. And the court has a discretion on how it is going to award the maintenance if it's going to award it. And usually if you do request a, 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 an order for maintenance um, preceding the date of, of application, it, it is considered um, and it, it is usually then awarded. Um, the only aspect that could affect it negatively is if the, the father is not in a financial position to pay because maybe he's um, elderly now or he's unemployed or he's got some financial consideration that actually precludes him from meeting this obligation. So it's a little more complicated 
technically, yes, you can make application, but there are a range of factors that may actually affect the practical ability to pay. But it's not too late to try. No, definitely not try. And, and you don't mm. have to have an attorney you can represent yourself. The maintenance courts are very, very um, approachable and very friendly in assisting the public to exercise their rights in this regard. Well, we're sort of staying on similar sort of story with the next one. Um, he says, my name is Mpoh and I'm the father to an eight-year-old boy who's under his mom's custody. My ex and I broke up when our son was only a year old and that was back in 2007. I've been taking care of my son financially from birth until today and from 2009, my ex and I have had an informal arrangement that I will pick up my son every second weekend. Well, that became a norm until the 1st of August 2014 after a disagreement between me and my ex. I've been trying to arrange for my son to come and stay with me due to the fact that he's not doing so well at school and his mother's not coping as she's a single mother of three. I support my son fully. I pay for his monthly groceries, medical aid, school transport and school fees. First of all, I have to say, well done to you and Paul, because honestly, we mm. love fathers like you. There are not many yeah. of you out there, but that's amazing. He says, please advise what to do with regard to me spending every second weekend with my son, as well as two school holidays a year. Well, um, presumably this was, was also a divorce action. And usually the divorce court order um, does regulate maintenance and um, visitation and access to the minor children. Um, if it does not, then you need to approach court for your informal arrangement to be made a formal one. Well, he says that they had an informal arrangement mm. to pick, uh, for, every, for every second weekend's visitation. So Exactly. So if it's been an informal arrangement, there's no mention of it in any court order. Um, I'm presuming, of course, that uh, referring to your ex would mean ex-spouse. But of course, if it's just not. a relationship that has broken down and there was no marriage, then... Um, then it's it's again a matter for the maintenance court to um, arrange for, for a formal agreement to be put in place in black and white in the form of a court order that will obviously um, place the obligation of the financial support that he's been giving anyway um, in writing. Um, and my practical advice to people in this position is to make sure that you pay the, the, the fees that have to be paid directly. So if you are responsible for the school fees, you pay the school directly. Don't pay. Don't pay via the ex-spouse or partner because that often does lead to um, misappropriation of the funds. I'm not saying that is yeah. the case here, but it, it's one of those practical uh, bits of advice that we give quite regularly. Um, with groceries, unfortunately, that's, that's a trust mm. issue. But uh, when it comes to medical aid and the school fees and transport and those, those that you can pay to the provider directly, do, do do so. And if your arrangement becomes formal, make sure that it's included around those terms uh, in the arrangement. And then visitation will have to be regulated on around the same basis. For actually getting full custody, uh, that's a little more complicated, and I would advise that he does seek formal legal advice. And in the meantime, just to get the, as he said, the two every second weekend and the two, two school holidays a year, that's where would he standard. go for that? That's pretty standard. Um, it's usually all, all could be arranged through the maintenance court. Oh, can um, you do the visitation through the maintenance court as well? Usually, oh, okay. because that deals with the, the care of minor children. If for some reason, and, and I'm, I'm saying for some reason, because this is not my area of expertise that I practice in on a daily basis, I don't do much family law. In fact, I don't do any of it at all. So my, my advice is based on theory and um, 
on the theory we learn in, in textbooks, so not on, on, on the practical side. So I stand to be corrected, but the High Court is the upper guardian of all minors in our country. So if the maintenance court only deals with maintenance, then it would be the High Court for visitation, which is a little more costly. Um, at least our divorces are not solely handled through the High Court anymore, as they used to be, um, in order to alleviate the workload. So... Uh, there, there are specialist courts these days that do deal with it. But if you can enter into a more formal arrangement, um, possibly by agreement, uh, many attorneys, if your ex has her own attorney and you have yours, they are quite capable of reaching a very civil, amicable settlement and to make that agreement then an order of court. So it need not be directly going to court and and being entwined into a, a dispute there. It could be as simple as hiring an attorney and that attorney actually negotiates something that you could put into writing and make an order of court. And just for those listening, just you might be interested as well, Paul, if you're listening, um, the show next week, I'm going to have two attorneys on be talking about mediation, family disputes mm. and all that sort of thing. So this might be something yes. that you might like to bring up then as, again, if you don't yes. have much luck this week. But So we're dealing with with um, that, that mediation next week. But the other thing about about this, and Paul, is that only, in, well, I wouldn't say in the last few years, but in the last, well, it hasn't been that long, that fathers now have a lot more rights than they mm. ever did before. So he's in a good time now good place to definitely and if you've been paying the maintenance if you're making these contributions that most certainly does count in your favor right and our last email is it's about money it says loan sharks gave my wife uh, money without my consent we were under administration at the time we didn't sign their contracts they failed to send the contracts cannot buy any property now but there's a problem with the bank how do i get out of this I'm assuming at this point yes. that they must have been married in community of yes. property at this stage. S similarly, I was also also making that assumption. Further than that, I um, assume that there's a, uh, an adverse listing on their credit record mm. now. Um, so, unfortunately, the only recourse you would have is to report this loan business to the in national credit regulator for investigation so that other people don't face the same kind of issue. Um, and then, of course, to um, appoint an attorney who may then do a rescission of judgment application. If it's not just a default listing, but a default judgment listing, then you'll have to do the rescission of judgment application. And you'll have to bring all these aspects um, into your application to cancel or rescind this court order. Can that I just ask you something? If, if they're married in community of property mm. and the wife was given the money and they were under administration yeah. at the time, he apparently, but I'm assuming, didn't sign the contract. And they failed to send the contracts. How legal is that, though? I mean, under but you have community of property, don't, mm. you, don't you both have to sign? Yes. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm yes. not married like that. so Yes. No, no. Neither am I. But yes, if you are married in community of property and you want to lend money, whether it's for a mortgage or any other type of loan, overdraft facility, anything, um, you have to consent to it, both so the loan sharks then, so these loans could almost mm -hmm. be illegal then? Yes, and that's what I'm getting at. You need to bring the rescission of judgment application on the basis that A, consent wasn't properly obtained, um, B, that there was an administration order in place, which means, for, for those listeners who don't know, if you are under administration, it's similar to being under debt review. Um, your uh, debt counsellor in the debt review process or your um, administrator in the administration process is the curator then of your financial 
um, your financial um, payments that you've arranged and so on. So any new payments, unless that person has on your behalf consented to that agreement, is unlawful for all intents and purposes. So it's about both of you not having signed, no contract being in place, and the fact that there was administration and presumably the administrator didn't sign the contract. I wouldn't or think consent. they would have at this point. So yeah. the only way forward is if it is a judgment being the key word, you have to bring the rescission of judgment application and bring all these aspects forward in that application for the court to consider it, to turn the judgment around, in other words, to cancel it and to declare it then further to that as reckless or unlawful credit. So this listener should go directly to the National Credit Regulator to yes, start with. and okay. then get yourself an attorney to deal with the other aspect. If it's just a default listing, that is a bit of a more uh, strenuous process in terms of having to deal with the credit bureau directly. And as far as my knowledge goes, because attorneys don't really get involved in the default listings or bad payer listings, and those the removal of those, unless, of course, you've paid the amount, then it's a simple process under the amnesty provisions to just send the proof of payment and then your listing, your adverse listing is removed. It takes a couple of weeks, I believe. Again, we don't really get involved in that. We get involved in, in these kind of disputes. We have to bring a formal application to court for it to be rectified. Right. So there is something the listener can do, mm. though. Don't, don't just but leave it there. Do go to the NCR either way so that this doesn't happen to other people as well. Right. So we've done with our emails now. So if you can call us if you have any questions, 0892 10 2010. Tim Becker in Durban, good evening. Good evening, Karen. How are you? Very well. How are you? I'm okay. Right. So what is, you had a problem where your mother signed an antinuptial contract, but it was never registered. Um, yes, she signed an antinuptial in about 2007. Mm-hmm. And her husband has recently passed on. So when she went to the deeds office, she then found out that it wasn't registered. Oh, goodness. Yeah. However, she doesn't have a copy of it. And mm. we have tried to make contact with the attorney who's still trying to locate the file. Oh, okay. I'm assuming that he's probably not going to find it, though. We haven't spoken to him in a while. Oh, wow. In the case that that doesn't happen, what recourse does she have at this point? Well, um, first and foremost, the attorney who um, has to um, lodge and register this antinuptial contract um, is probably, well, has to be a notary by law, isn't probably, has to be a notary by law, which means yeah. you, that person has to keep a certain standard of a filing system. Um, we call it a notarial protocol that you have to keep. Sorry, Tim Becker, have you got your radio on there? Oh, yes, I'll turn it down. Thank you. Okay, I'm sorry, Nicole. Okay, so you you have uh, the notary that has to keep this filing system in a specific order. And so locating the file, um, for me, is a little a little um, strange to, to comprehend in the sense that as the notary, you're obliged to keep a, this, this filing um, of all your antinuptial contracts and all your deeds that you have executed, as we call it, um, yes. and you have to have access to it uh, at any given point of time as the notary. You can't, um, any original that has been signed, 
you can't scan it only and then destroy the 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 original you have to keep it if if you know what i'm getting at so yeah. um not finding it is as much much more far-reaching repercussions for this notary than um than any other type of attorney file which you could then store off your off your premises or something like that and later on only scan it electronically you're not allowed to do that with a notarial protocol of which your anti-nuptial contract originals form a part of so long story short is um you you can actually report this to the law society if if it turns out that the file cannot be located and if you can't have a copy of the contract, then it's going to be really hard to prove that the intent was always there to have an antinuptial contract. Unless, of course, someone can recall what was in it and you can maybe put an affidavit forward to court and have a, have a declaratory order issued to the effect that although it can't be located and was never registered, that it was always the intention to not be married in community of property. Uh, would a conversation recording be sufficient though? Because I had spoken to him and he had admitted that he had drawn up an antinuptial for them. Yes. No, that could, that could, anything that can prove that, that this all did happen and that there was this intention. Have you considered what, um, you know, I, I believe that, that there has been a, a death, um, I presume of, of, uh, your, your mother's husband or your father, yeah. um, and as such, it have you done the calculation as to what she would inherit if she was married in community of property to him versus what she will inherit if there's an antinuptial contract? And uh, We have a vague idea, but not any accurate numbers. I think it's worth investigating that and worth going to an attorney that can do that calculation for you before you pursue um, locating this antinuptial contract that may or may not... Um, you know, may or may not be locatable, or you know. Yeah, but either way, she'd be losing out though with the community of property. Have you done that calculation to establish that? I'm, I'm just yeah because in, in many instances, the issue that he's left a lot of debt. You know. Okay. Mm. Okay. If that is the case, then of course you need to try and pursue the the location of the antinuptial contract. And if, if that attorney cannot locate it, you need to report that to the Law Society. And I think um, it's maybe something you should mention to this attorney so that he can es or she can escalate the, the location of, of this contract. Okay. All right. Thanks, Tim Becker. Thank you. Thank you. Good night to you. That's a bit worrying now. Mm, no, that, that's a bit of a disaster, really. It's, um, I, mean, I remember when we got married back in the day, I think Noah was still planning the ark then. Um, <laughs> and we, we actually have a copy of it with this big sort of seal thing on the front. And But they gave that to us almost, well, not that long after we were in the attorney's office. So we, aren't you supposed to do, get them quite quickly? We actually, in, in our firm, it's, it's common practice that if you come and sign your anti-nuptial contract on the day, we sign three so that we keep two in case for whatever reason it's one when we lodge it at the deeds office it falls out the cover or half of it goes missing you know human mm. error happens uh, the deeds office is still ver very much using a manual system and those kind of accidents do tend to happen not often i must say in, in their credit it doesn't happen often but it could and 
then it doesn't inconvenience the client to re-sign a page or the whole contract so we then simply re-lodge the entire bundle and that's why we we have this practice so the client walks out on the day with an original of what they signed on the day mm. so they can if something bad happens and you know people die and there's a bomb in the middle of town or whatever the case may be then we've got then they can prove that they were there on this day and this is what they signed and if needs be, they can get someone else to register it in the deeds office. So it's a, it serves a multiple purpose, really. And we've got very, very stringent regulations in our office to make sure that before month three is over, it is lodged and registered. And then you, you've got a communication channel. So to, to say to your client, okay, today it was registered. And when it comes back, we give them a complimentary copy and, and advise them you can either keep this or if you need a certified copy you can go to the deeds office at any time your reference number is in a little block it looks like a stamp and it's this so it is quite worrying but the bottom line if people are having antinuptial contracts drawn up Make they sure. need to you also but you also need to be a little bit responsible yourself mm. so within three months if you haven't heard from anybody you need to follow up and say excuse me have you lodged this has it been done where is it now I'm not done wait for three months oh, well, wait a month three months okay. yeah that's so, uh, that's that's the 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 cutoff date oh, but okay. if you wait for three months then okay it's after over a month and, done. <laughs> and you haven't heard anything when you come back from honeymoon have a reminder. Yes. That's the first thing you do. If you haven't heard from your attorney who has registered... We're your assuming that all these contract. people are doing this when they get married now. Yes, you have to do this. Yeah, well, we're saying, you know, you're assuming that you they're doing this You have to sign that. There are two fundamental rules with uh, anti-nuptial contracts. You have to sign it before you get married. Even if it's five minutes before... You can't do it afterwards. ...before you get married. And you have to register it at the deeds office within three months after date of signature so many people will come and sign the antinuptial contract in fear of forgetting to do it before the wedding in let's say june but we're only getting married in december that's very very proactive and at least you know it it gets done but for whatever reason you forget to lodge it because there's a six month lag between signature and marriage or and, and I don't want to be the prophet of doom and gloom, you do register it shortly after, and for some reason you don't get married. Then there's all sorts of drama to effectively cancel that agreement where that is now floating around in the deeds office. I'm just so glad I've done all that a long time ago, and it's all done. <laughs> I have to try and worry about doing this all night. It's all so, I'm glad I didn't know all this back then. It, this is a fine balance. <laughs> Go and do your homework and see your attorney and see more than one for different perspectives if you feel you need to do that because it's a really important decision. Mm. Fair enough. But make sure you sign it before you get married and it's registered within three months after you've signed. We have had, I think, calls, a couple of, well, I think two calls over the course of the of the programs we've been doing with people wanting to know who got married, were married, <clears throat> sorry, in community of property and now wanting to know, can we now, there is a way you can do it, but it's a yeah. whole performance and a half. It's a court application. Mm. And the longer you are married, the more likely it would be that this would actually not be a successful court application because you have to know your creditors in this application. So if you're married in community of property, the bank obviously loves that because mm. your mortgage bond, um, you and your your spouse are then uh, jointly and severally liable um, for the mortgage bond, not because both of your names are on there, but because you're married in community of property. It may 
coincidentally be that both your names are on there and you married in community of property. Or possibly because you uh, had a mortgage bond before you got married, now you get married and you need additional finance and the credit application was processed by virtue of you are married. In community of property, there are two estates, two salaries, two of everything we can attach. Thank you, smiling. Which is great. So, and, and mortgage bond, it, it goes for any kind of loan, really. I'm just using that as, a, as mm. an, an example. But the, the longer you are married, unfortunately, as life goes, the more you do actually um, bring up debt. This is the way of life. And if you want to change, it affects the, the security of the banks or the, the creditors that you do have. And that's why those applications, unfortunately, do not always turn out as positive. And I know many colleagues then say, instead of going through all of that, just get, get divorced, divorced and I've, remarried. Yes, I've heard that. Bad idea. Mm. I, I had a client um, not too long ago who did this in good faith. And then the ex-spouse ran away with all sorts of things <laughs> that, that, mm. that he got as a result of the divorce. The and bottom line is, draw <laughs> up an anti-nuptial contract before exactly. you get married and get married with an ANC, an anti-nuptial contract. Completely. Do that. Right. Bevan in Durban, good evening. Yes, uh, very good evening to you, Karen. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Pleasure. How can we help, uh, Bevan? Uh, I did call you uh, previously relating to an issue I'm having uh, with a sibling uh, and a property that we co-own, but uh, the question is is not relating to that same issue. I did call you a few weeks back. Mm, I remember. Uh, 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 I, I own a property with my sibling. We inherited it from uh, our parents. Uh, and this property is excluded from uh, any community of property between our spouses. Mm -hmm. So uh, what I want to find out is, can my sibling and I have an agreement to say that uh, in the event of her death, uh, I will become the sole owner of the property and the same if, uh, in the event of uh, my death. Mm -hmm. uh, but... Can it be the case that this agreement uh, is binding in, in that we cannot change it without the consent from each other, or will we have to place this into our respective world? Well, that's, that's actually quite an interesting question. There are a number of ways to, to facilitate that. Um, of course, some are more costly than others. You can establish an entity or a trust, uh, or an entity, I mean a company, or a trust, and you can transfer the property into that and regulate it within that framework. Now, of course, transferring it out of your personal hands into that entity, whether it's a trust or a company, is quite costly in itself, but depends on your intention um, at the end of the day. Similarly, you could execute a contract between you and you could even um, endorse the title deed, which, you know, I, I'll have to consider properly under which regulation. But just just off the top of my head, I'm sure an endorsement of some sorts um, may be possible. Um, and so that you, you can't, can't um, the freedom of testation, which each of us has to decide what we want to do with our worldly goods, uh, we can do unanimously um, with and unilaterally so that you don't have to consult with any other person. So there are a number of, of considerations to, to keep in mind. There are very complex ways of, of dealing with it, costly complex ways, or um, a, an endorsement of some sorts may be something one can consider as well. Okay. Um, I, I, guess, I guess what I'm asking is that uh, 
uh, whatever agreement we have in place, I don't want change because yes. I don't want her to be swayed in some way and she changes the agreement and then in her will or whatever and then mm. uh, if upon the death, then uh, I, 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 I hear the surprise. And the same is for her benefit as well. No, of for course. My side. Now, I, I completely hear what you're saying and that's why I'm, why I'm saying uh, there, are, there are ways of achieving that. Um, a will... Unfortunately, let me maybe be very clear about that, is not the best way of regulating that along the terms of not being able to change it as as you are, are concerned it may be. So a will is just to agree that you'll put it in your respective wills, unfortunately will be based on trust and it won't be guaranteed, okay? Putting it into a, an entity or a trust could be, be costly but there you can regulate it along the lines that you desire or an endorsement of some sort against the title deed precluding a transfer on death to anyone other than your each other that that okay. will also facilitate the same thing um cost wise which one of the two i've just mentioned are, are more costly i i'll have to consider but but more uh, in depth than I have now, and and you know in terms of which regulations and the details that you you will be able to use those are those need more consideration. But generally speaking, some endorsement of some sorts against the title deed or putting it into an entity is 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 much um, is a, a fail safe way, so to speak. Um, and if you talk, if you go the endorsement route, would, would this need to go to court uh, or to the master or anything like that? Or I, is it just a I, legal frame? I actually, off the top of my head, I uh, I can't tell you how the endorsement will work in detail right now. But I am quite willing to consider it um, and for us to take this this off the air and offline. Um, you may leave your details. Yeah, Bevan, I've got your number, but I'm going to put you back to my producer. If you could just leave your email yes. address with him. Okay. And, and let's we'll, consider it further. And we'll be in touch with you about that. Okay. Thank you very much. Thanks, Thank Bevan. So hold the line. Don't hang up now. Right. Uh, let's see. Dudley in Cape Town. Dudley, good evening. Uh, good evening, ladies. Hello, how can uh, we help you, Dudley? Yes, I, not really. I just want to make a slight comment. Oh. I'm a practicing advocate. And there was a, a little, um, I, not the correct picture given by your attorney earlier, mm -hmm. uh, the lady. Mm -hmm. Well, actually not the full picture, not that she was incorrect. Mm -hmm. It's the one dealing with custody. Oh, uh, right, yes. Thank you. Help is very welcome because I'm not a family law practitioner. Oh, I know, I know I have that. Um, we're... Where there is an undefended divorce, for example, yes. uh, and there are minors involved, uh, more often than not, the court will accede to that request. However, you will get finicky, I won't say finicky, but I think more uh, they would err on the side of caution, where would they request a family advocate's report. Yes. Always for minors. And even if there's a contested uh, divorce, uh, Always in that incident, you would need a family advocate's yes. uh, report. Um, so you might think that the family advocate might not make a decision in your in your favour, but they are very approachable and it's free. Your attorney would always at, um, um, would, would organise the consultations and set up the meeting, um, and they would normally, by means of a letterhead, the family advocate would know who the attorney is. They would know that the divorce, and in in the letter they would. State the case what they are um, anticipate. Mm -hmm. 
uh, with regard to the child. So the advocate would then be guided, let me put it rather that way, would be yes. guided. And either party could approach the, the family advocate. And mm. the family advocate then would make a, 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 a um, unbiased decision, and then that report gets handed up in court, and uh, everybody would be happy with that. So it's not always, uh, uh, as in the past, where the attorneys would just agree, and then you'd be able to go to court. Yes. And, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's kind of slightly more difficult where you have, um, let, me, let me always say, proactive judges. Yes. And, and, and sometimes correctly so. Um, it would take slightly longer, a week or two, but that is uh, probably the best way to go. No, That's definitely. all I'd like to say. Thank Dudley, you, Dudley, so Dudley, can, can I just ask you, are you, are you a family advocate, Dudley? I'm, I, 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 I do a couple of those matters. I don't like it. Oh. <laughs> I, I, I do an array of other work. Okay, and I was just curious, we were just very grateful for the input because yeah, definitely. Thank we you. really did need to hear that. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for calling in. Okay. Thank you, Dudley. Okay. Good night Stay to you. Well. Good evening. Bye-bye. Thank Bye. you. Bye-bye. Well, now one of our very regular listeners, I think she listens to all my shows, which is mm-hmm. great to have her on the line. Anne in Amanis, good evening. Good evening. Just just outside Amanis, good evening. Hello. Um, I sold my house, and the agent approached me, signed the um, offer to purchase. Mm-hmm. The buyer paid a deposit. Uh, that was the 13th of August. Okay. Two weeks later, <clears throat> he sent an email to her, and I'm going to read it. It's just easier for me. Okay. Uh, I've been informed by the bank that, that they are reluctant to give me a bond. They are reluctant to give a bond to a foreigner like me, and even if I was to win my exceptional skills visa appeal this week, the bank needs a temporary or permanent residency card on my side to do a bond mm-hmm. and that will take untold more weeks if i get the visa mm-hmm. if i don't get the visa then it's plan b for a retiree visa and back mm-hmm. to the usa to proceed for an unknown period of time yes um will you kindly reimburse me my uh deposit yes now i'm saying surely the estate agent should have found out about his status. No, of course. Um, the the role... you know, this all happens in two weeks. I've got to find myself somewhere to live because he absolutely mm-hmm. insists that he takes occupation at the end of November. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, I, I, can we not do it sort of February? That would suit me. Uh, give me more time to find somewhere to live. I've got a yeah. large house, plenty of furniture, nowhere to go. And he's going, no. 13th of November, you are out. Mm-hmm. Two weeks later, he goes, haven't got a visa, haven't got this, haven't got that. Oh, goodness. And I'm thinking, uh-uh, uh-uh. Well, in any event, the, the remainder of your, your uh, deed of sale, uh, your offer to purchase that you, you would have signed, would deal with breach um, of any of the conditions by purchaser or seller. And in most instances, your deposit isn't fully reinforced. Um, it's That's a, what I thought. It's not fully reimbursable. Um, depending, of course, on when the cancellation happened. You say it, it's now been two weeks. Usually it depends on which agency you've used. Oh, um, let's say something about 30 days. Uh, 30 days um, cooling off 
Is that what they call it? Because it's usually a five to seven day period. Some agencies okay. up to 21 days where, yes, the deposit is fully refundable or reimbursable. Um, if it is longer than or if, if, if it's shorter than that, it's usually five to seven days. Some agencies it's 21. Um, so if, if you're within the period or that period has already lapsed, then you're... It was deposit. within two weeks because I signed it on the 13th of August but have a, and have his a email came through on the 1st of September. So it was roughly sort of two weeks in a day. Yes. So so obviously this would have already gone to the conveyancer to deal with the, the collection Correct. of the deposit. Correct. You need to phone that conveyancer and get them to um, assist you with... with uh, not to refund this deposit yeah, They refunded him. Have I they? went into the office. She said there's an email because oh, I'm, I'm not a computer. And I went in. She gave me this letter. And I walked out. And oh, in the letter, he stated, we could put this deal on ice until April. And I went back and I said, by the way, what happened to the deposit? And she said, no, no. We reimbursed him this morning. He asked for total reimbursement oh, goodness. to be sent to California. Mm. We've done it. Oh, goodness. Okay, well, then I, I strongly recommend that you get a second opinion on whether or not that was um, um, the cooling-off period had lapsed or not. As I say, some agencies' contracts provide for five days, where so it's fully reimbursable, for, some for seven days, some for 21. Okay. I haven't seen anything longer than 21 personally, but... Um, so two weeks... He's entitled, they're entitled it to depends what your contract says. You'll actually have to get someone to read it and, and to um, and to advise you. And, of course, um, if there has been a breach, then report the attorney, the conveyancer, um, to the law society, and you can even um, institute a damages claim. What does that mean? Um, for If the deposit was, was wrongfully re, uh, refunded to the purchaser, it shouldn't have been. It should have come to you because the cooling off period had already lapsed. Mm, and you can actually okay. sue the conveyancer for that money. But my contention is, I feel so strongly about, um, it, it was always obvious he's American, because he yes. by his accent. So if I was an estate agent, I would have said status. Yes. Got your ducks in a row. Yes. You know, have you been in touch with the bank? Can we get in touch with the bank? Can you get a bond? Mm. So I, I start packing up my... Furniture, I'm desperately phoning all around Cape Town trying to find somewhere to live. Sure, sure. You know, phoning, cancelling uh, the alarm system, my phone, my insurance. So, so basically, and you, you're saying that there was, it was, um, the, the, the estate agents hadn't really come to the party in the property. I mean, it's, it's bad I don't service. Think so. so well, can, you, can you sort of report the estate agent somewhere? You, you could to the estate agency, agency board. board mm. Yes. Oh, really? Um, yes. You could report them as well. It's uh, free of charge. Um, but again, I would recommend that you get someone to just have a, a look see through this contract and who undertook to do what. In okay. many of these contracts, you have what we call a suspensive condition. That means it's something that until it's been fulfilled, there is no contract. So usually the most classic type of suspensive condition you get with property sales are bond clauses. And you need to um, get someone to explain what your bond clause means and, and whether or not the contract actually came to life 
already. Because sometimes it's only it been says, two weeks. It says if the bank doesn't days, give you the bond, yeah. then the contract is null and void anyway. Yes, then so. it, it never came into existence mm. in the first place. So I would like you to, even if it's just to take the contract to someone other than this conveyancer, of course. Um, that, that that's, But that's my problem too, because the attorneys in Hermanus, mm. It, it, it's one of the biggest state agents, okay? It's the main one in South mm. Africa, the main one. Well, go to another firm of attorneys. That, that's but, but they're all sort of dealing with this. Um, so they've this all got a conflict of interest, thank you. basically. Thank mm. you. Yeah? They've all got conflict of I'm interest saying. because all the attorneys deal with this particular state agency because Correct. they're the biggest one in the town. Not all of them. Most of them. There are not too many in Amanus, huh? No, not, yeah, but you don't have to go to an attorney in Amanus. You can go... Anyway. Town, uh, to to Cape Town, you can. I don't drive. Well, I mean, you can. Many attorneys' firms these days offer telephonic consultations. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. You can and do the, that quite. Um, state board. How do I get hold of them? Um, you'll have to uh, look it up on the internet. Well, the state have, agents affairs board. Do you have? E do you have internet access? And state agents affairs board. E A A B is the acronym. They they don't take action too too soon though. But you can at least report yeah, them. It yeah, it takes. Be patient. It takes it takes a bit of time. Bless you. Thanks very much indeed, and thanks for your All program. Good luck, Anne. Thank thanks. You, Anne. Bye. Bye. Right, let's go off to oh Anne. I hope you're listening. Or actually, we'll call you back. We've actually just got an, a telephone number for the Estate Agencies Affairs Board. And, I'm still on the phone. Oh, you're still there. Have you got a pen, Anne? Yep. Okay, 087. 087. 285. 285. 3 Bless you. Okay, give them a call in the morning. You're a star. Thanks, Thanks, for Anne. Thanks Anne. Okay, good night. Good night Bye. to you. Right, let's head off. We're running out of time very rapidly, so let's head off to Limpopo. Peter, good evening. Hi, hi, Karen. How are you? Fine, how are you? Yes, thank you for taking my call. Pleasure. Yeah. I'm having a problem here. I have a girlfriend who has taken me to maintenance court. Mm -hmm. So now I need to know how can I prove to the magistrate that I'm maintaining my child because I do maintain the child, but she has taken me there to say I'm not supporting the child. Okay. Do you uh, pay for certain expenses? I, I mean, that's what you mean. Um, the proof of payment of those expenses, if you have receipts, if you have, uh, if you, you're paying cash and, and any of those providers gave you a receipt or if you have a debit order coming off of your bank account or something like that would prove that you are paying for, for some of the, the expenses. Well, even if you're doing one of those ba internet transfer things, yes. you'll have that will be on your bank records. So all you have to do is basically produce the receipts or the proofs of payment. Okay. Do you have any of those, Peter? Yeah, I do. Well, just keep find them, every hey? single piece of paper. You keep them in a shoebox mm. or something or in a file, but don't ever throw any of those pieces of paper away because that will help your case. Okay. So must I take them with me? Yes. yes. I'm going to go to court. Yes. yes. Okay. Thank you. That proves your point. Thank you. Well, Thank good you, luck. Peter. Good luck with that. You sound quite desperate, but just as long as you've got all your receipts, I'm sure it'll help. Yes. Okay. 
Yeah, and then okay. also your your income and expenditure to prove what what salary you get and every every other expense that you have in the month because they're going to consider that if they feel the court feels that you have to pay a little more. Okay. So the records of your rent or your bond or your car Anything. payments or your electricity or your groceries or your insurance or any of the all those things they need to know how much you're spending on those a month as well. Okay. Okay, so just take every piece of paper you've got. Okay. Okay, Thank Peter, you. good luck. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Good night to you. Bye-bye. Um, Tim Baker in Peter Marisburg, if you can be very quick, we can take your call because we are running out of time. Tim Baker, good evening. Good evening. How are you? Fine, thanks. And you, very quickly, what is your question? Okay, my question is that um, my father passed away in 2010. Mm-hmm. And I was doing my first year around that time. And he was married to my stepmom. And apparently my father left everything to my step uh, to my stepmom and I've never supported finance. And currently I don't even have a job and I'm trying to save for my I wish to enroll for honors uh, degree. Mm-hmm. But I don't have anything. I just wanna know. Can I like, can me and my siblings my father has like had like ten children from different women mm-hmm. and we never we didn't inherit anything. And I really, and during my, my first degree, I struggled in, like financially. I really just struggled. And I just want to know. Tembeka? Tembeka, your other siblings, are they are they still young? Are they, how old are they? Okay, some of them, they are 30. The oldest is 30, 28. Okay. Yeah, but the youngest, they're just doing grades. Five. You see, that's still a dependent. Why yeah. would why would they not have been taken into account when this war was? Well, it yeah. depends what the how the. It depends. Hello? Okay, Hello? just hold Can on to Becca because we, we, we're going to answer you very quickly because yes, we've got a minute. Unfortunately, um, we you'll have to um, get, gain access to the master of the high court's file, uh, which is you know where the state was reported, and to see what the wall made provision for. But overall. Um, there's no rule against leaving everything to your current spouse if you've maybe been married more than once before in your life or you've you've had multiple relationships and you've only been married once. Um, so there's freedom of testation. But shouldn't the children, minor children, dependent children still count somewhere? Those parents could then make application in terms of the maintenance provisions for, for minor children, um, which would then be a claim against the deceased estate. If that was never done... Unfortunately, and the deceased estate has been fully administered and the executor released and wrapped up then, unfortunately, it's it's one it's of those very, very sad things. But I think a good starting point is getting insight into what was made provision for and how was it actually divided to see if something maybe went wrong. I'm not suggesting that it did, but to at least put your mind at ease. And uh, those documents are... Public, public, doc, public yes. records, so you can you had, can have access you to them. You need your f- father's full names and ID number and preferably the date of death. Then you can get um, the file and and make as many copies of, of it as you, you do require. Right, well, once again, come to the end rather quickly of this program. And my thanks again this evening to Nicolene Skumanlo. She's the director of Skuman Chaka Attorneys, Conveyances and Notaries Public Practicing here in Cape Town. And she's been my guest on tonight's edition of the Law Report program. Nicolene, once again, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. We'll be running legal clinics like this one on the second Monday of every month. And Nicolene will be back with us again for another law clinic on Monday, the 13th of October. 
Yes, that is correct. Yes, we're in October. Yeah, I, I was like, October, and I suddenly thought, we can't be that far into the year already, but we are. Wow. <laughs> the Law Report is on the air on SAFM every Monday evening between 9 and 10. And again, a reminder of the available documents on the Facebook page, Law on SAFM. If you'd like any of them, post a message. Please remember to include your email address. If you don't have access to Facebook, email me on law at safm.co.za and I'll send you a copy of the list and you can choose what you want. 